Welcome to Growing Your Financial Advisory Practice Podcast based on projections, episode 35. And my goal is to interview experts to provide you with insights, strategies, and actionable tactics that you can start applying to grow your financial advisory practice today. For more information, head over to snapprojections.com slash podcast. Now, let me introduce today's guest. Today's guest is Janea Dino. Janea is a certified financial planner, private wealth advisor, and a principal of Bright Rock Financial. In 2008, Janea decided to create her own financial advisory firm. She started as a personal financial advisor offering independent insurance and investment products. After obtaining her certified financial planner designation, she decided to drop her mutual funds license and become a private wealth advisor with Raintree Financial Solutions. Based in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, she creates a tailor-made financial plan that encompasses cash flow, insurance, investments, retirement plan, tax planning, and estate planning. Jenna is listed as, to- as top advisor with, uh, within her investment dealer and her managing journal agency. She has been nominated for Woman in Wealth Management Young Gun of the Year Award and was a recipient for the Saskatchewan Award of Merit for Business Leadership in 2016. Jenna, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited as well to talk to you today. So, let's, uh, you know, let's dive in. So, let's start where pretty much everybody starts. So, tell me about your firm. What do you do and who do you typically serve? Sounds good. So, my firm, Bright Rock Financial, we look at clients that are have kind of grown too big for the bank, but yet they're not high net worth enough to go to some of the larger firms. So we typically target clients with assets between kind of 100,000 to sort of that 3 million. And I mean, that's kind of a, a sliding figure as well. So we've got lot, I've got lots of clients that I work with who are just kind of starting out, but, you know, make really good income and just need some type of savings plans. So I work mostly with couples. And so I, you know, and I really insist that, that if somebody is in a relationship that I like to meet with both people, not... I don't like meeting with just kind of the one person as I feel that your financial situation is sometimes what saves a marriage and can uh, really bring a couple closer together on getting onto the right path. So yeah, I really insist on working with both people in the relationship. That being said, I also work with a lot of single women. So women who are single or widowed or divorced. And so that makes up quite a large group of my my practice as well. And then on the couple's end of it, there's sort of two aspects that I look at. One is couples that are, you know, really approaching retirement, kind of that age 45 to 60, where, you know, their kids are a little bit more grown. They don't really know what they want to do with their investments. They've started accumulating a lot more in their RSPs, their working couple, and now they just kind of need to figure out a plan. To the other side of the couples are older couples having kids. So I call it from going from dinks to sinks kind of thing. So dual income, no kids to single income with kids. Yeah. And that has, you know, a lot of financial challenges in it as well. So really coaching my clients and, and really focusing on the 
education piece within my practice. Excellent. So I will come back to some of those uh, segments that you served. There's, uh, there's really interesting things there. So in terms of your practice and how is your firm structured right now? So can you tell me a little bit more about the licensing, maybe number of staffs, number of clients that you serve? Sure. So I'm, yeah, I, I had a mutual funds license and of course my insurance license up until about 2012. And after I took the certified financial planning designation, I really saw a fit that mutual funds could not offer everything that I wanted to offer in my own portfolio, in my own investment portfolio, nor could I offer everything to my clients as well. So I started looking around to look at a couple of exempt market dealers to see if maybe that was an option. And the one that I've settled with and I'm so, so happy with is Braintree Financial. So they are my back office. So I dropped my mutual funds license and got my exempt market license. And what I like about Braintree is they're not just a real financial solutions provider. And so I'm still able to offer public security investments within their platform. So we do a lot of referral arrangements to portfolio managers. So Jenna, I think we dropped the internet for a second. So yeah, tell me, so what? Uh, why, why do you like working with Raintree? What's special about them? Ah, uh, the culture, the the support. You know, they're really about supporting the advisor in their business. They're not just about, you know, how much product did you sell and are you meeting your targets? Are you meeting your numbers? You know, they, yes, of course, at the end of the day, everybody's concerned about that because it's a group business, but really they are concerned about you as a person. And, you know, to bring it up, I am, I'm young, I'm a female in the financial services industry. So I kind of have two things going against me. Unusual, unusual. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's very unusual. And, you know, I've never felt more as an equal on an equal playing field as I have that firm. So it's, yeah, it's very good. You know, you're treated as one of the guys, I guess you could say, and you're treated on an equal playing field on on kind of all aspects. So it's, and it's a really supportive network. You can Perfect. pick up the phone at any time and talk to the CEO, Peter Kincaid, or, you know, any of the other staff. So it's very friendly. It's it's a very open environment. Yeah. Excellent. And I, I have a you know another question here, just you mentioned that you know, why you actually dropped the mutual fund license, because that's not typical too, right? I mean, like you, you've saw, oh. we've seen some other opportunities and you've seen some things that, well, maybe some of the things are not going to be working well for clients. So let's maybe dive into uh, into, into that aspect a little bit. So why why the switch? Like what really triggered you and how uh, what was yeah. your about the decision? So about the same time, I was getting married and having my first child and I had a rental property in Saskatoon. So my husband and I owned our home and then we had this rental property outside. And I was, I was so tired of managing it. You know, the tenants would call and say, hey, we need a light bulb change. I'm like, I am not up for this, you know? I'm about to have a baby. I'm trying to run a business. This is not what I want to be doing. I don't want to be running a rental property. So I put it on the market and I sold it. And then with those funds, I I just didn't know what else to do. I knew that owning property, owning real estate, owning some sort of kind of investment outside of your public securities is really important to an overall portfolio. But I just didn't know how else do you own real estate, own different kind of asset classes without actually owning the actual properties. So that's actually what triggered it. Mm-hmm. It was really selfish and personal. <laughs> where yeah, I was probably want to solve it. So that's yeah. Fine. I I didn't want to own a rental property and I wanted to invest in real estate. So what was I going to do? And I couldn't really do it through mutual funds. I mean, there are a couple of real estate mutual funds out there, but mm-hmm. that's not what I was looking for. I was looking for more capital growth. You know, even on the cash flow 
it's, you know, could sometimes considered a return of capital on your non-registered investments. So I was really looking for kind of an alternative investment choice for my own self. And so that's kind of when I stumbled upon the EMT market and just looking at it, you know, one of the things I can do on the insurance side is fake funds. So of course I still have that opportunity to use with clients, but then how Raintree has referral arrangements with portfolio managers is then we're still able to refer clients so that we can keep MERs low. We mm-hmm. can, you know, have accessibility to really good managed portfolios by, you know, institutional pension managers. And so it was kind of, it was kind of the best of both worlds, essentially. So I got rid of the rental property, sold it at the peak of the market, thank God. And then kind of took that and said, Hey, let's, let's look at some different alternative investments. Uh-huh. And it was, you know, the best thing going now because it's growing the portfolio and I don't have tenants calling me in the middle of the night wanting me to change a light bulb. Yes. So, 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 so that's awesome. So you basically solve the problem for yourself. And you, of course, notice that, well, other people will probably have the same problem. And uh, typically, I think traditionally, access to alternative types of investments is really limited to you know, very high net worth people, ultra high net worth people, right? So, so, so we'll come back to this kind of conversation again. Uh, I think there's a bigger topic there. But, you know, in terms of your business, I want to you know, take you back. To, to, I want you to take me back to your early days. So like, what, how did you become an, how did you go about becoming an advisor? What made you mm-hmm an advisor in the first place? So as a teenager, my uncle would come over after work and him and my dad would sit around the kitchen table and have a glass of wine. And I would kind of sit there and hang on every word that they would talk about. And they would talk about business and finance. And my uncle was a financial advisor. Actually, he ran a very successful managerial agency for about 30 years. So I had a really strong interest in it at a very young age. And then when I was like, you need to start an RSP. Like, what's an RSP? All my friends are, you know, buying gas and cigarettes and trying to get booze and I'm opening an RSP. Okay, sounds good. So I did. And, and that's sort of where it stemmed from. And then in university, I majored in marketing, but I did a lot of my, my elective classes in finance because I had a strong interest in it. And throughout university, I actually worked for Standard Life head office in Calgary. And that kind of opened my eyes too to the financial world. So in 2008, I was working for a large hotel chain doing sales across Canada and the learning curve just plateaued so quickly. So my uncle as a mentor came to me again and he said, you know, I really think you should consider a career in the financial services industry. And I said, are you kidding me? You want me to sell life insurance for a living? I, I don't really think that's an ideal way to go. And he said, no, just try it. So I did all my licensing exams while I was still working and found out that, hey, you know what? I'm already doing this in my own personal financial plan. I'm already doing this for myself. Why wouldn't I make a career out of this and a business out of this and now do it for other people? And so that's how it started. So I left my day job and went out on, struck out on my own. I grew my book completely organically. Mm -hmm. I didn't, at the initial onset, because my uncle managed a general agency, he was not in a position to sell any type of book. So I started by just kind of pounding the pavement, you know, doing the old 10, 5, 2, 1, or whatever the old London life scale is of making 10 calls and getting one sale. And, and that's just how I started. So over the last 11 years, it's really been an organic process. 
I did end up buying one book in 2013. I bought a really small book about 4 million assets under management. And that was really just to kind of test out to see, you know, should I buy more books or should I keep growing my practice organically? And it really solidified the fact that growing the practice organically was a much better way of, you know, I got better clients out of it. I got clients that I wanted to work with, Mm -hmm. whereas buying a book, you know, you're sometimes inheriting things that maybe you don't don't really want clients you don't want to work with <laughs> yeah and and not you know i have some actually great great clients out of that now who've become wonderful friends but it was a really good learning experience for me so i think now it'll just be kept growing organically if you will awesome okay excellent so that's that makes a lot of sense and uh, it's a great start and uh, i mean 2008 that was a hard year to start <laughs> yeah so. yes easy and hard because markets came down and now clients are kind of looking for a second alternative so it's like oh hey i'm here i didn't really live you i didn't live that through that with you so how about i take your book on and yeah so interesting so so let's talk about your process you're a certified financial planner you do a lot of planning for people and you have access to alternate investments so which is not a typical aspect probably of, of uh, you know, CFP uh, you know, process and so on. So let's talk about, you know, what, how do you approach advising your clients? What is your old process? Can we, can we maybe dive into it? Let's, let's say, what are the building blocks for you? How, you? how do you think about it? Let's go from there. Mm-hmm. So in my first meeting with clients, I really go through and explain the process of what I do. And really, I strongly believe that every client should have a tailor-made financial plan. And so I do a written plan for each and every client. It tends to only be about three or four pages long bullet points, but it it is tailored and it's written for every client. I mean, that's kind of like the call it the executive summary of their of their financial plan. And then, of course, I can always provide 40 to 60 pages of supporting material behind that. But I find clients kind of really want that synopsis, that executive summary to look at. And then, of course, we can go through the, the bigger picture. But within my plans, there is, you know, sort of a template that I use and, and kind of go through with each client. Of course, certain areas will be focused on a little bit more depending on what client's looking for. But I always start with cash flow. I think that is the, the biggest part that a lot of advisors are not talking about. And it's really honing in on what the client's cash flow needs to be. So, for example, you know, I've got clients that make, you know, 15, they're netting $15,000 a month. Mm-hmm. but they're only spending about $8,000 a month of that, which is perfect. You're talking about the client, for example, so they make, uh, let's say, uh, they're netting $15,000 of, of income and they maybe spend you know, around half of it, let's say eight, so they, they're left with seven. So what are some of the opportunities here? So now we look at opportunities of, okay, well, where's where could that go to? So should we be looking at public investments? Should we be looking at alternative investments? Should we be looking at insurance plans? So is there going to be a an estate tax at the end of your life where maybe we need to throw some life insurance in there in order to mitigate that? And so that's really the opportunity of looking at the gap on what we can offer. Because of course, I could come up with the best made plans on, oh, yeah, best. I don't know the client's cash flow and and what that kind of gap between their income and what their expenses are, then that's where it's going to become a problem in, in initiating and putting through any plans. So I really need to focus on the cash flow part of it. Yeah. And so the cash flow is a, it's a, it's kind of an interesting problem, interesting problem to solve, especially in financial planning software, because I mean, there is, you know, there's approach, there's so many different approaches to it. There is budgeting, there is you know, clients tell you how much they think they're spending, right? And then they, and, 
and then you say, okay, well, you make this much money. Let's say you make uh, $15,000 and you said you spent, yeah, you're spending 10. So you should have five. You should be able to invest. And, and then uh, essentially the, it, it comes out, comes down to that the, they may not be saving five. They may not be saving even $500, for example, right? Yeah, they're probably spending it all. They're probably spending it all, exactly. So, so, the, so there's yeah. some interesting decisions. Okay, so in terms of those four pages, I'm going to go back to it. On those four pages, this is basically more in terms mm-hmm. of, is this showing clients what you can do for them in terms of the benefit or and you're showing all, the, all those different areas where you can help or, or this is sort of a draft, you know, exact summary based on all that what, what you already know about them and showing them, okay, we've already had met and I already know, I already have access to your information and then I can put together this four-page plan to sort of show us what are the, what are some of the opportunities and then you have um, then you're seeking consensus so what, what what is really the role of the four the, the those four pages showing them options or this is part of the you know engagement as well or or the engagement is already in place with with the client yeah so it is it is the actual plan that we're going to implement so okay. once i once i've completed kind of that first meeting and i say to them okay i'm going to put a plan together for you this is the plan that we're going to implement. And at this point, you know, the client hasn't really chosen to work with me as their advisor. But I say to them, you know, if you if you decide to implement this plan, then choose me as your advisor. Otherwise, you know, the plan stays with myself and it is a copyrighted copy. So, um, so if you decide to go to a different advisor, then I keep the I keep the plan, of course. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. So, so you show them basically the benefits, and these are these yeah. these are the things that yeah, these are the recommendations basically. But that's interesting because that's still you don't have the engagement in place, and then basically, and and when when people look at the plan, they they can decide if they want to work with you or not. Yeah, I really think that clients need to be shown the value of what a certified financial planner provides prior to making a decision. I know that's what I would want to see if I was a client. I would want to see, well, you know, before I move all of my assets over to you, what are you going to do for me? How are you going to show me any value? So within those four pages, yes, sorry, we talk about cash flow. We talk about insurance. We talk about the retirement plan. We talk about investments. And then I also look at, of course, tax planning in terms of how it applies to investments and insurance and then estate planning. So it's it's kind of an all-encompassing. Seems like a lot to go through in kind of a 90-minute meeting with a client. But and that's why I sort of do it in an executive summary because I say, you know, this is what you're going to get from me. Uh, of course, we're probably going to focus on only a couple of the areas to start with. And as we work together over the next year or two, then we'll implement the other parts of your plan as well. So yeah, because I mean, at the beginning, it becomes really overwhelming. And really, the client has come in usually for one reason. They've come in because they want a retirement plan, or they want a different evaluation on their investments, or, you know, something of that sort. And then I brought in all of these other aspects of cash flow and insurance and tax planning and estate planning. And, you know, they kind of sit there and look at you and go, oh, I didn't even think about all of this. This seems so overwhelming. And I say, no, 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 no. This is what CFP does for you. This, they take a look at your entire picture and make recommendations so that each piece of the puzzle will fit together. So I think that's what brings value in my practice. And I think that's what clients really appreciate because you can get hung up on investments and get hung up on returns but it's really at the end of the day, what what value is your planner bringing bringing to you and to your plan? Right, and again, it's an opportunity for you really to maximize the value. Right, you're not specializing in one area and ignoring other areas. So, so that's that's a great point. I'd like to underline that. So, okay, so you're doing a lot of a lot of the work in the many different areas. Let's talk about you know, some of the tool sets. Like, what do you have? 
what do you use in terms of you know some of the tools and some of the processes to look at you know, here's cash flow you're dealing with alternative investments right so you know i don't know any financial planning software that that is able to handle all the aspects of alternative investments you know really well so what how is your process yeah. <laughs> you're probably a lot better so what uh, what tools do you use and how do you use them yeah so i a couple of years ago i took a cash flow specialist course which was absolutely incredible and so from that, I've just kind of come up with my own sort of plan on, on what I like to use for cash flow. So it's a basic spreadsheet that I've kind of created. And really, I have the client fill it out prior to our meeting so that some of the pre-work is already done. So that's one of the tools I use. The second one is I actually use SNAP projections for my retirement planning. And I just find it really useful because it can either be go from a very simple explanation for a client or I can do a really complex explanation. So I like using that as well. And then for investment portfolio, again, I use a spreadsheet. So just simple Excel, plugging in the clients kind of, okay, here's your public portfolio. It's made up of this much US equity, Canadian equity, global equity, fixed income, and here's your alternative investments and kind of color code it for the client so that they can see how how their portfolio is sort of structured with a mandate that, that I like to call, which is trademarked by Raintree. It's called Core Plus Explore. So you've got your core portfolio, mm-hmm. which is kind of color coded into those areas. And then you've got your Explore, which is your alternative markets. So those are really the only actual tools that I use. And then I sort of wrap it all together and use a Word document to kind of summarize it and bring it all together. Yeah, so not too complicated, but it's pulling in from different areas. So Yeah, which is good. I mean, keeping it simple and adding complexity early on is, is a problematic, right? Because uh, there is, I think, even a certain law that says that, you know, any any system that starts with something complex, you cannot actually make it work. I think it's Gall's law and any system that is complex, it has to start with something simple. So I think you have uh, you have a great process and there's nothing wrong with using spreadsheets that work, right? So, and if you can automate right. it, that's, that's perfect. So, okay, excellent. So, so a couple of uh, other questions in terms of, you know, how clients typically find you right now? So do you, you receive mm-hmm. referrals from clients or do you have marketing complaints uh, in place? How do you uh, think about marketing of your practice? So my marketing's really kind of evolved since I started. So when I started out in the business, I used a lot of kind of email newsletters targeting, you know, friends and fam contacts that way. I did a lot of networking events. So attended, you know, chamber of commerce or smaller association events and really just kind of got my name out there and, and it started to spread. I tried, I tried big advertising like radio. It, it doesn't work for financial services just because you really want that kind of relationship. You want that referral to come. So now the majority of my clients come from referrals from my existing clients. So, you know, clients been happy, they passed my name along and I don't do any sort of formal process in asking for referrals. Maybe I should, because uh, I you should get along that way. Yeah, I should <laughs> figure out some way to do that. But, you know, they just, they just kind of happen to come and, oh, I was talking to a friend and I passed your name along. So that really helps. The other thing with Saskatoon being so small, I'm actually listed number one in Google search ranks if you Google Saskatoon Financial Advisor. So I've really put a lot of work into my website just to try to keep it updated, try to keep it kind of fresh and going. So now I've had, you know, a few younger couples, you know, kind of that early 30s where they've Googled and, you know, come up with me and had some had some good feedback. 
So with Google, though, I've also made sure that I've had a good peer group review me. And so I know some, you know, there's a few thoughts on that, that people, oh, we don't believe Google reviews because they could be bought. But in Saskatoon, where you've got a smaller center and you know people who know people, it's like, oh, hey, I know the owner of a painting company and they just, you know, said really nice things about you. So that's a good referral. And so I, you know, I've got some good reviews on Google reviews right now. And I think that's really helped boost my ranking amongst the Googlers or whatever. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think, I think this is a great approach, right? I, you've, I've actually was uh, looking at your website. I'm looking at the website right now. It's, it's really nice, really clean. And, you know, it's uh, also structured in a way that probably helps you be properly indexed by Google as well. And Google reviews are definitely helpful for sure. So you're recognizing the value of content marketing and having your website and having reviews. So, so that's great. And I think that's going yeah. to be something that's, it's, that's going to be increasing in value. So I have a newsletter that I do monthly. Mm-hmm. And so that helps because it, it keeps the content fresh on Google. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really, really important too. Okay, well, let's talk about maybe a little bit of compensation as well. So in terms of, again, your practice is a little different. You have the alternative part. So how is your compensation typically structured? Do you Is there, is there one model or, or do you use different approaches in terms of you know, what kind of, what, what kind of, depending on the plan, depending on the client? How does that work? Yeah, so I've, I use two approaches, but my clients have only ever used one approach. So, I mean, I offer both sides of it, but yeah. So I go into a meeting and say, okay, you know, how I earn a living is through commissions, through your investment insurance products. Now you can come to me and just have a plan where I would charge you an hourly rate for it. Or, you know, if you decide that the plan is what you want to do and how, what you want to implement, then any insurance or investment products that you use for, with, with me as your advisor, I make a commission off of those. And so to this day, I have never had one person take me up on my hourly rate. I've only ever had commission-based. And that's something that people find value in the planning and then want to switch the investments over at that. Yeah. So, I mean, I do offer both model systems, but I wouldn't say I, w- I am a fee-based planner. I mm-hmm. would say I'm completely a commission-based planner. And you offer options. So that's that's great. And yeah. they can they can self-select. So that's great. So in terms of, you mentioned working with clients. So what is the most difficult part of, of working for clients with you, especially maybe in the alternative investment side? So because uh, that's, again, it's, it's quite unique to your practice. Yeah. So a lot of clients, you know, you really have to go through the education process mm-hmm. of educating them on the fact that investments don't just end with stocks and mutual funds and bonds and GICs. You know, there is a whole other world out there of investments. And yes, it comes with risk and we need to be aware of that. And, you know, I inform the clients of types of risk that we look at with private investment. But I'm also looking at private investment companies that have good track records, large employee bases, have, you know, good board board management. So we kind of mitigate some of those risks in those areas. But I would say the biggest challenge working with clients is is kind of looking at their overall portfolio and, and really kind of taking it. So for example, I had a couple that I've been working with now for the last three years. And so they came to me and you know, they were really unsure of the whole private markets. They weren't, you know, really keen on doing it at first. And so we had a lot of meetings on just the education around it, you know, who Raintree is and due diligence that they do prior to having any private issuer come onto our shelf to be able to offer. And so after that, you know, a few meetings and that education process, we've implemented some of the private equity. Well, 
then, you know, 2018 wasn't a great performance year in the public markets and the TSX dropped by 9%. And all of my private equity investments went up by 9-12%. So then you're looking at it going, well, now do you see the value? Now do you see that even though public markets are volatile, you're not having your portfolio correlated with the private markets. Mm-hmm. So it, it really becomes an education piece on how you can help help the client. And now since then, you know, they're singing my praises and going, wow, I'm so glad we did this. Can we do more? Can we do more in the alternative market? And I say, no, you can't. Everything in the alternative. <laughs> yeah, you need to have a balanced portfolio. So, you know, that's kind of where it comes down to is that once the client sort of gets a taste of what the private markets can do for them. And, and, you know, you use a lot of products, you build it like a mutual fund, you build the private equity so that you're not just focused on one investment, you've got your eggs in multiple baskets. And, and so, yeah, you're building kind of a fund of private equity. But once the client sort of gets a taste for it, now they want to be doing more. And now you're just, well, no, we can't. That's not part of your overall plan. You know, so now it's kind of reining them in and holding them back mm-hmm. from doing it. So, you know, the hardest part I think of the financial advisory job is to manage client expectations and mm-hmm. to say, you know, like we have to go back to the plan. We have to make sure that mm-hmm. everything is kind of being taken care of. So, you know, and that's that's sort of the biggest, I think, aspect of the plan. But then, you know, on the other hand, you have clients that you work with and a spouse passes away and now you're sitting there and you're holding the widow's hand and trying to help them navigate through kind of the maze of the financial industry. And that's where I get the most kind of gratitude out of it saying, you know what, I did the best I could for that particular client. I put them in the best investments. I did, you know, the best insurance plans. And now I've protected the widow and her family so that they're able to carry on financially. So I get the most value and the most reward kind of working with the widows, but I'm not, not that I want to say that, but but you know what I mean? It's when you see when distress happens and you're there to be able to support the people who you care about around you. And I do, I care about all of my clients. And, you know, I've had clients challenge me on, well, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Mm-hmm. And and I simply say, you know, like, this is how I, what I feel is the best situation for your plan at the time. But I'm constantly looking for different ways to lower management fees mm-hmm. and increase you because at the end of the day, I mean, I get paid the same, whether the MER is 3% or 1%. So what I want to focus on is, well, we need to keep those fees low so that performance can stay in the client's pocket and kind of really managing that whole whole picture for the client and doing what's best for them mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Excellent. So a couple of questions here before we wrap up. Of course, your practice is very established right now. It's been 11 years. So congrats, passing 10 years and uh, 11 years in the business. And what have been some of the biggest challenges for you to get to that point? I had two children with no maternity leave. That was a big... So I started in 2008, I got married in 2010, and then I had a baby in 2012, another baby in 2014. It's been kind of giggles that, you know, I was answering emails and phone calls from the hospital bed as I'm giving birth to our son. And and I said, hey, you know, business has still got to go on. You still got to run it. So that's been a biggest challenge. But you know what? I've got such a supportive network uh, in my office. I've got two full-time staff. And they really kind of took the reins and clients were great about it. You know, I I ended up taking a couple months off 
And not that, you know, I was a couple months away from the office, of course, when you have to kind of be when you have a baby, but they were great. You know, things kind of ran really smooth. My practice wasn't as big as it is now. Like I really, I think I've tripled it since 2014, just because now, you know, you're more active in the business, Mm -hmm. but that was probably the biggest challenge. And now, now that my kids are good and my family's done, um, now kind of the biggest challenge is sort of managing client expectations and managing my own expectations as well. So my book has grown pretty big. I work with about just under 500 households. I've got about 50 million in assets under management. And now it's time to kind of take a step and go, okay, how am I going to provide the best service to sort of which clients and who are those going to be and which ones do I really want to work with? And so that's going to be a challenge going forward of just, you know, growing with the practice and trying to figure out how I deliver the top-notch customer service that I want to do and that I'm prepared to deliver. And how do I do that with a whole bunch of clients? So that's going to be the next challenge. Right. When you're starting, you're just really focused on essentially survival, right? You need to generate yeah. revenue, stay in, stay in business. And uh, and then you're really clearly sometimes really focused on what needs to be done. But once you get larger, you have more options. I mean, there's so many different ways you can grow this business, right? Because you have more options, you have more, more resources, you have, you have great team in place and a lot of great clients. But if you're going to start over, let's say today, if you were in the industry today, tips for new advisors. What uh, do you think that your path is, is something that new advisors think that do you think that they could follow your path? Is this something that that would you do the same thing if if uh, if you were going to start over today? Yeah. I you know, I've thought about this because I actually took on a junior advisor about a year ago. Mm-hmm. And to the point where I'm we're just providing mentorship to her as she comes up. And so, you know, she's kind of made the comment that maybe I should buy a book. I said, yeah, you can buy a book. But, you know, if you're willing to kind of pull up your socks and do a little bit of hard work in the beginning, growing your book organically, I think, has so much more meaning because then you get you really get to work with the clients that you want to work with. So I look back going, yeah, maybe I if I had to start over, maybe I'd buy a book just because it's kind of the easy way. It's the easy way out. But I've never done anything easy in my life. I've always kind of done it with a lot of strength and determination and confidence. So I think looking back, I'd probably do the exact same way. I'd probably grow it organically as I have. And I just think it has so much more reward. And and now that I know how to grow it, I'd probably grow it a lot more quickly than I have because it's taken me 11 years to get here. Whereas, you know, I look at some people in my peer group and maybe it's only taken them four or five years in order to get to where I'm at. So yeah, but no, I think I I think I do it the same. So, <laughs> well, that's uh, that's uh, that's promising. That's promising, I'm sure, for a lot of people because it's. I always ask those questions around tips around from your advisors, and it's uh, it's everybody says, "Oh my God, I don't know if I would be even able to start in the industry." Right, so so it's hard. But okay, so so from from your point of view, just uh, your clients on again alternative investments. How do you think the delivery of financial advice is going to actually evolve going forward? Do you think you know clients will actually you know, will be more exposed to maybe alternative investments or should they be of course there's value and there's risk right but how how do you think this um what, what kind of bearing it has on, on on the evolution of financial advice here in Canada? yeah i hope i hope clients have more access to alternative investments 
just because I see the need for them, especially with the way the public markets can be so volatile. So now that technology is just, you know, a finger click away, we've seen a lot more volatility in the markets because of that. You know, people are kind of, before of 2018, a lot of that to me was kind of consumer intended volatility, not necessarily economic volatility. So I hope that alternative investments are more accessible. I think clients are going to become a lot more educated. I mean, it's, it is so with the internet, people do their research before they search out a financial planner. So they want to know who are you? What do you do? What kind of things do you offer before they come through your door? And I think a lot of clients are going to want a lot more access to technology. So that's one of the focuses of our of our company this year is to look at how can clients better access their portfolios when they want it with it. And is there a way that they can initiate their own deposits and withdrawals so that, you know, they're in our office and, and make it a little more sticky, I guess you could say. But I think clients are just going to demand more from us. And I still think that there will always be room for, I don't think that's going to have too much bearing. You know, there's always going to be that select 10% group that's going to move in that robo-advisor direction. But the other 90% still want somebody to hold their hand and make sure that they're making the right decisions on their investments. And that's where I think financial planners are going to be more useful and, and more needed. Whereas, yeah, you know what? We can we can automate things. So one of the tools that we use is through Wellsimple for advisors. Mm-hmm. And it's a fantastic tool because it gives clients kind of their own drive driver's seat to make sure that they know when they're doing deposits and withdrawals and their investments. But then I'm there in the back end saying, okay, we need to put more in or, you know, don't take that much out because this plan is not going to be on track should you that. So I think financial planners are going to be a lot more handholding and supporting supporting the client while the client can, you know, view their portfolios online and access it that way. But yeah, I think that's going to be the next the next big thing. For sure. I mean, technology is going to play a major role here, but this is an interesting point, right? With well simple for advisors, because you know, clients typically they actually make shoot themselves in the foot by making some really bad decisions. And if you give give them too much sort of power, yeah. then that then it's more likely to happen. So this is interesting. We think a lot at Stanford projections about really enhancing the client advisor relationship and and how we can play a role in in that relationship and how we can help advisors really to help manage the the behavior because that's at some point i mean that's really the core of of your role you've educated clients they yes. know what they're doing and and, and they they're on they they have a really good plan so the, for them really the, the the path to success is to be staying on that plan right and uh, and really following direction and following the advice from the advisor so you're in a great spot in the business right now and you, you mentioned some interesting projects in terms of you know technology for example but you know are there any projects that you're really most excited in your business right now over next i don't know six twelve months there's always new alternative investments coming out and although I like the boring tried and true, I think it's Mar Management Firm has the has a blog called The Art of Boring. So it's like investments should be boring, heart surgery should be boring. But at the same time, the alternative investment space offers tangible investments that are, are, are a little bit more exciting that you can touch. And so I really look forward to seeing how that is going to evolve on, you know, what types of 
Will there be more alternative investments that'll come down to the individual investors? So yeah, they're offered to institutional investors, but you know, is average Joe that makes $75,000 a year, is he going to be able to do to, you know, purchase investments into alternative space? So I'm excited to see that on product development or technology. I'm excited to sort of see what other things that come up, you know, like Zoom for webinars. I mean, it's so easy to use. Another one we use is Calendly to book client appointments. So that's so easy to use. So it's interesting to see how technology is, you know, making our business easier for clients to interact with us. And so I'm excited to see what what that's all going to be about too. So and just implementing new things. That's 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 awesome. And uh, I mean, it's the implementation. This is where where the value is really. And you mentioned Zoom. And I think that's a really great example. By the way, they just went public. I think about a month ago. It's um, and their their price doubled since the IPO. So they're definitely doing something right. And there's uh-huh. the, yeah, definitely exactly. demand for what they're doing. So, okay, great. So, Janelle, this podcast is all about growing your practice. So do you have any parting words of wisdom for the listeners? Just one thing. You know, I think this is the absolute best business to get into. My uncle had always told me that. You know, I, I don't think there's any better business to be in than the financial services industry. You know, every day I talk to people and I help people. The learning curve never stops. So you're always engaged in, you know, new product, new technology, new tax reform, whatever it might be. And it's just, it's such a wonderful career. It's such a wonderful position. I hope more women get into involved in it. So that's kind of your family. Talk to your kids about getting involved in the financial services industry because it's just so vast and it's such a great career. Excellent. And if anyone wants to get a hold of you, maybe ask you a question or two, how would they do that? What's the best way to reach you? Yeah, through my website is www.jdino. It's J-D-I-E-N-O.com. And on there, it's my calendar booking, uh, my Google reviews, and of course, contact me. Excellent. And we'll link it up, we'll link it up in the show notes so we'll have it there. Janelle, thanks for coming on the show. That was a lot of fun. Thank you so much, Powell. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you very much. That's it for this episode, but I do have a special announcement. Following our conversation with Janea, who mentioned a cash flow specialist course, which was extremely valuable to her, I decided to contact Stephanie Holmes, the CEO of a company called Cashflow Pro, which created the course and is dedicated to solving the cash flow problem. And we agreed to host a joint webinar for those who are interested in learning more about cash flow management for your clients. So if you are interested in learning why traditional budgeting doesn't work, why cash flow is so much more than just math, and how to really unlock the value of cash flow management for clients, join our webinar on Thursday, June 20th. You will find a registration link in this episode's show notes. And if you have any questions, you can email me directly at podcast at snapprojections.com. So this is just one-off webinar. So if you're really interested in this topic, I would recommend registering right away so you don't miss it. Thanks so much and uh, hopefully see you at the webinar.